from Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Espen Frizz Jensen, uh, co-founder and chief growth officer of UserFlow. Espen, it's really nice to have you on. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You are the co-founder and chief growth officer at UserFlow, a business that's grown to seven figures with just a team of three people using a product-led model. This is a really exciting topic, and I'm excited to get into it today. Everyone, welcome, Esmond. And can you please tell us a bit about your company and what you guys do and the space that you guys are in? Yeah, my co-founder and I, uh, Sebastian, we started this company called UserFlow that basically does, uh, some call it in-app onboarding or product-led onboarding, but it's basically the capability to build product tours, surveys, guides, checklists, and so on inside your product to better onboard customers, announce features and stuff like that, and doing it without involving developers. So we basically allow customer success, product managers, UX to build these like onboarding guides without having to use developers to do it. That's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about your journey of how you, you started your journey on product-led growth. Um, I understand that prior to UserFlow, you co-founded another company called Cobalt. And you know that's still going strong, 200 plus people. And it, it sounds like you started the journey there. Tell us a little bit about that. Cobalt started out very much as most startups actually do in the SaaS space as a product-led company. And then we had self-sign-up and things like that. And then over time, we moved more and more to sales-led, primarily because we needed to educate the market. We were competing against a more traditional service industry, which had a very high-touch model. And I think a lot of SaaS companies have faced this challenge that they're competing against a high-touch service industry. But then over time, as, as our product matured and the market matured, people just got used to using the software. And then that opened up a chance to kind of move a bit back to the product-led approach. And that's what we decided to do. So for our smallest customers, we, we transitioned towards a product-led model to basically started thinking, how can we allow customers to self-serve? How can we think product first in everything we do, which is really the mindset of product-led. And that was a super exciting journey. Cobalt is still on it uh, to, to get even more product-led. Um, uh, but it piqued my interest so much that uh, I decided to do a company in the space. And that's why I decided to join Sebastian and do use the flow because basically onboarding is a, a really essential piece. Um, Onboarding is typically where, uh, so in a free trial, for instance, the onboarding can really be your salesperson, right? It's where it shows the value to the customer as fast as possible. Or past purchase, it's the onboarding that makes sure that that you're retaining that customer. Onboarding is really a continuous journey to continue to onboard the customer and make sure they're happy with the product. So that's why I found UserFlow super interesting and wanted to make it easier for other companies, uh, SaaS companies, to become product-led. So we have a lot of B2B marketers out there listening today and even even some folks from the sales side. Let's talk about what exactly is product-led growth. I, I know this term gets thrown around sometimes, but I'd love to hear your definition of it and maybe some of the main differences of being product-led versus more sales-led uh, as an organization. I think there are two ways of looking at it. One is 
product-led growth is really a, a mindset in a cultural mindset in your organization where you always think product first. So it's not just like product management that needs to do it. It's the way you do sales, the way you do customer success, the way you do marketing. In all of those things, you always think product first. Like how can we use the product to actually get the customer to do what we like, right? So instead of having to set up meetings and stuff like that, you really use the products. If you look at a sales-led model, uh, just as an example, sales-led is the traditional model that many SaaS businesses move to where you, the first, let's say you do a, a marketing, you get the customers to come to your website. The only CTA or call to action is really schedule a demo. So that's the first thing you do a demo with somebody. You might even do more demos, more calls. Then you decide on buying and you get an onboarding call with a customer success manager. And then finally, when you are made the, that call, you get a chance to try the product. And the risk in that is really that you haven't tried the product before you actually end up buying. So you might have been buying the wrong thing. So in a product-led model, you switch that around. You actually allow the user to try your product up front. So they go in, they do a free trial or freemium, they try the product. And ideally, they just buy themselves. But in certain scenarios, they might also engage with sales or customer success but then they will have much better questions because they've already engaged with the product, understand the different values of the product and, and can ask much better questions. And in the long run, uh, that reduces the risk of them churning because they've already, as part of their buying process, tried the product, basically. I love that. Yeah, we're a startup and a growing company and we've been building out kind of our suite of SaaS applications that we're using. And you know, recently our talent acquisition team, they're looking for a candidate testing system. And we're kind of going through this. A lot of companies want to show the demo or the pitch or all this, but they're like, hey, you got to sign up and you got to pay before uh, you can really use the product or, or see what it's all about. And I completely agree with that is it's so valuable to, to kind of be able to use that product uh, from a you know, acquisition standpoint and all that, I can directly relate to that. So when does it make sense to apply sales-led versus product-led? Are you all in on product-led and sales-led is maybe a less effective strategy? <laughs> I think as a small startup today, product-led should be your primary. You should strive for doing product-led especially if you're in a well-defined space. Uh, there are exceptions to that. You could be in a space where there's a lot of education needed to the market uh, and that makes it harder to do product-led. But I still think there are possibilities to be more product-led even in a space where you have to educate the market a bit. But I would definitely recommend that. In larger organizations, it's kind of the same idea, right? Like who are you competing against? Is it, uh, is it like a, a blue ocean where you're educating the market a lot? Yes, then it might need a bit more high touch. But really, I think every SaaS business should really, B2B should strive for being product-led, at least a dimension of their business. Many will say, I can't do product-led for enterprises. But actually, I don't think that's true. Many enterprises will have end users who will try your product and basically do that as an evaluation. I can speak for Userflow. We see many Fortune 500s end users signing up and doing trial on our products. And yes, inevitably, sometime it will end up in a more kind of enterprise-driven conversation, sales conversation. 
but at least then they are already somewhat bought into your product when they start that conversation. Whereas in the more traditional sales led model, you have to like present the value in a sales call, right? Which is much harder than having people actually try your product. Uh, so it's also a great tool for salespeople to use as ammo because they have buyers who have actually tried the product. So if I'm a marketer out there and I'm thinking about our go-to-market strategy, let's look at it from the other end of things. Maybe we're a sales-led environment, uh, or maybe as a marketer, I'm kind of used to that type of environment. How do you make that transition? And what does that look like? And what are some of the things you have to keep in mind with that? It's definitely a big cultural change, right? It's change management. You have to start thinking product first in everything you do. And it's not just product management. This is not like a single team that has to change the mindset. It really has to come from top management that this is what we want to do. And this is why we want to do it, right? And I think to convince people why you need to do it, I mean, there are many reasons, right? One way of looking at it is we're in some call it the end user era, where end users have a lot more power. So you want to build products that are uh, easy to use, have a great UX, uh, fantastic value for the end user, because they are often part of the evaluation process. Um, it's a more technology-driven generation that knows how to use software, and they, they have higher expectations for great software. So that's one reason why you want to do this. The other reason, there's a VC company called OpenView that is doing this analysis on the stock market. You can see that product-led SaaS companies are outcompeting their, their peers. When they reach a certain revenue threshold, it's around 10 million. They start growing a lot faster without having to add a ton of people. And it's exactly that uh, CAC uh, effectiveness, right? They can really grow fast when they have that word of mouth and the brand. And they make it super easy to buy and, and grow. Uh, you can grow a lot faster. Right? That's like the holy grail of any SaaS company is to grow revenue without headcount. So that's great. Exactly. And that's what product-led companies can do. So those, are, I would say, are the arguments you can use in your business to kind of convince them why this is great. right? Um, but then it's really a, a process to get everybody on board. And, and it comes from leadership. And it's a lot of coordination. I think what we're going to see over the next years is also that the SaaS organizations are going to change due to this because I think most SaaS organizations have been built to fit a sales-led approach. You can see it with like, you have this division of marketing, sales, customer success, product as its own function. But in a product-led world, you really have to merge a lot of the, the way you look at the customer journey. It needs to be a bit more of a merged experience uh, where you think product first. And I think that will force SaaS companies to change their organization a bit. Uh, I'm not sure uh, sales and customer success, that division is really needed because you end up in a product-led model to have very similar tasks where you're actually supporting the customer uh, by answering their questions. So I'm sure there's uh, folks out there that are kind of thinking about with this product-led approach, what happens to customer relationships and what does that look like? Uh, so traditionally, you know, you got the, the sales team, the customer success team, they're handling those customer relationships and you could say very important to even customer retention. How do you handle that with a product-led model? 
So of course, the main difference is suddenly you strive for not having humans in the equation, right? But oftentimes humans will be somewhat in the equation. It's just going to be a lot more reactive. Reactive is not a nice word because it's not really, it's also not what I mean, but it's it's basically like you do a lot of automation that's proactive, right? Like that could be in-app onboarding as you can do with Userflow. It could be emails that you automatically generate. And the better you can automate, sort of segment the content you're giving to a certain user, the better. Because then you're like driving them, depending on where they are in the situation, they get the right advice at the right time. But that's automation. So you can help the customers see the value, stay retained by doing that kind of stuff. The second thing is then you also need to have a great product. I think customers love great products. They don't like, I think, of course, People love people and there's always been like this, like if you go and visit your customers, you're going to have them as lifelong customers. But honestly, I think you're not going to do that if you don't have a great product, right? And customers today, they just expect great products and they're going to stay with the best product. They're not going to, you know, uh, uh, stay with a product that has bugs all the time and bad UX and all this stuff. So that's another way to create love from your customers. I, I mean, I don't know anybody at Slack but I use Slack every day, right? And I love Slack, right? So that's a great example of a customer where I have a strong love and I'm retained, even though I never spoke with a person from Slack, right? So I think it, that shows the possibility of doing that. Um, but then I think the, the third part is that always make a human dimension available. There's nothing worse than when you then have a question and you ask for support. It's an endless uh, journey of bots, right? We all tried that when we call some kind of travel agency or like this. You can never get to talk with a human being and you have this question that would be easily answered by a human being, right? And I think that's important as well. Like, don't forget that part. Don't over-optimize or over-automate your your support. There should be room for somebody to reach out to an actual human being who can answer your question and make sure that those human beings are product experts, right? That they can actually answer your questions. And I think the power of product-led is really you free up the people who are in sales and customer success to do exactly those kind of things, right? Be the product experts, be ready when available, but don't like do all these like generic things like sales demos and stuff like that because the product will do that for you, right? And, And that leaves room for the more advanced and fun questions uh, to be answered. Uh, But always as a third thing, even though you automate, even though you build a great product, make sure there is a possibility for human connection if needed. I think that's important. So a big piece of marketing is customer advocacy. So finding those customers that are really going to be champions for your brand and for your product. How do you handle finding those with a product-led model? If, if you have less of a, a sales presence and these one-on-one relationships, how do you identify those organizations that really are going to be a champion for your product and, and to find those really great customers? You will get some via the support, right? People will reach, as I said, via, out via the support. So they will, uh, those situations you should always take advantage of, right? Like if somebody reaches out and say, I love your product, uh, I have this question, 
And then you can always ask like, okay, great. You can leave a, a review on G2 or you can uh, maybe do, I open for doing a case study. Always take advantage of those situations where people are actively reaching out because that's also the best time for them to talk about that because they are they are already engaged with you. So you're not like uh, annoying them at a different time where they don't have time for having such a conversation, right? That's a great time to do it. The other way you can do it is uh, to look at the data, right? Like look, who are the most engaged customers? Who are have the most users? Who are maybe some brand names that you would like to spread the word and then reach out to them directly with a friendly email saying like, we see you, you enjoy the product and so forth, right? Uh, this can be also, you can use things. That's another thing you can do with Userflow is NPS service. So you can also look at who's doing NPS 10. Actually, one thing we do with Userflow is whenever we ask the NPS question and somebody put in a score, we also ask, okay, you can also share the review on G2, right? So you, you kind of automatically ask them to promote your product. So you can do it a lot of things like that, where you also like automatically incentivizing the user to, to, to spread the word, right? Um, so yeah, uh, there are many things you can do here. Let's talk about challenges that companies face when shifting to a product-led model and maybe some of the common mistakes that are made. What is that? When sales-led companies are moving to product-led, it's analysis paralysis, right? It comes from this world where they think sales first in everything they do. So it's really hard for them to understand and take the risk that can we just leave the customer on their own, right? Can they really do this? Don't they need me to handhold them through this process? But they're really forgetting that customers, most customers don't want that handholding necessarily, right? They, If they could do it themselves, they want it. And that's why product-led is becoming such a popular model, right? It's, it's the, the customers who is driving that. So yeah, I think there's a risk of analysis paralysis also because a lot of teams has to get coordinated um, they have to align on the best way of working, how to do product-led. So that's a challenge. And I think a way to solve it is to reduce the scope to begin with. You need the leadership buy-in, right? That's super important. Leadership needs to explain why it's important. They need to buy into it. But then after that coordination, especially in a very sales-led organization, it becomes a lot easier if you reduce the scope. Uh, it could be that you, for instance, that's what we did at Cobalt say only look at the smallest customers to begin with with the simplest use cases so you don't like try to do this for all customers to begin with then you have so many discussions what about this type of customers how do we do this and and so on and then really make it an iterative process instead of ending up with this analysis paralysis where you try to overthink everything right um, you have to work a bit more like a small startup where you just you do things iteratively and learn from what you see right I think that's super important. And don't be afraid to take risks. I think one of the great risks our customer success team in Cobalt took was they said, basically, for our smallest customers, we are no longer going to do customer success. We're just going to have support, right? And in that way, they forced the product team to make sure that the product could support that, right? They took the chicken and egg question and they basically said, yeah, okay, we're going to remove the customer success instead of waiting for product to, to build every single feature that would be required in if you did the full analysis to have a product that could live without customer success. And I think those are the kind of leap of faith you have to take, right? Like take those risks so you can move faster, basically. Totally. Well, hey, Esmond, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate all your insights into this. And uh, just thanks for joining here. 
It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.